Hi, I'm Amber Harper, host of the Burned In Teacher Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the podcast you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Be sure to check out our other podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Hey, welcome back. Today I'm talking with Madeline Whitaker Good and Catherine Whitaker. Catherine is a high school math teacher, and Madeline is currently a middle school teacher and previously an elementary school teacher. They're the authors of the book, Your First Year, How to Survive and Thrive as a New Teacher. This is an awesome tool that you all need to take a look at. Incredible information here. And by the way, their book was written at the conclusion of their first year teaching. Cool, huh? By the way, if you want to connect with them, the best way to do it is on Twitter. You can connect with Madeline at M. Whitaker Good, which is M W H I T A K E R G O O D, and Catherine at M I S S W H I T A K E R 294 or Miss Whitaker 294. By the way, Catherine may have used the wrong numbers later in the interview. Don't worry. This, these are the correct Twitter handles, and you can find them also in the show notes. Glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Lots to learn today. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Madeline Whitaker Good is currently a middle school math teacher in Springfield, Missouri. Prior to moving to middle school, Madeline was an elementary school teacher in two different school districts. She was raised in Terre Haute, Indiana, and graduated from the Peabody College of Education at Vanderbilt University with a Bachelor of Science degree in elementary education and child studies. She received the Dorothy J. Skeel Award for Outstanding Professional Promise in Elementary Education. She completed her Master of Education degree in Educational Leadership and Policy Analysis from the University of Missouri at Columbia, as well as her Elementary and Secondary Principal Certification. She also co-authored the best-selling book, Classroom Management from the Ground Up, which was just published this year with Catherine Whitaker and Todd Whitaker. By the way, Catherine is her sister and Todd is her father. <laughs> the, uh, Catherine Whitaker is currently a high school math teacher in Kansas City, Missouri. She was raised in Terre Haute, Indiana, and received her Bachelor of Science degree in Secondary Mathematics at Education from the University of Missouri. Her first three years in the classroom were spent at the middle school teaching math, algebra, and reading. She has taught Algebra A, Algebra 1, and Algebra 2 honors at the high school level. Catherine graduated with her Master of Science in Educational Leadership, K-12, from Northwest Missouri State University. She also co-authored the best-selling book, Classroom Management from the Ground Up, published this year, 2019, with Madeline Whitaker Good, her sister, and Todd Whitaker, her father. Ladies, welcome very much, and uh, glad that you're here. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks. We're happy to be here. Yes, we're very excited and grateful for the opportunity. Well, cool. Glad that you're here and uh, um, say hi to everybody out there. Hi, everyone. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> Especially hello to our dad and mom and my husband and son. Not that my he's seven months old, so he doesn't know what's going on, but just saying, giving him a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Very cool. So, so it's awesome having you both on the show today, and I love the book, Your First Year in Classroom manage and Management from the Ground Up, and today we're going to talk about your first year, which is really cool, and you know, it, just, uh, it really hits home, and I can't wait to get into it. But before we talk about your first year, you both are teachers, and your parents are teachers, <laughs> your mom and dad, right? And uh, they, uh, this is too cool. Do you have any other educators in the family, and are there any topics in education that you all enjoy talking about together? So I feel like um, the only edu other educator in our family besides our parents are um, my mom's aunt. So our great aunt um, was a teacher for forever um, and retired from the same school district that she, um, I think, started in. And then topics about education. I just feel like we talk about the real things that are happening within our classrooms. Um, and so like I'm moving to standards-based grading um, next school year and so we've been talking about that and kind of what that looks like maddie what do we what do we talk about with you yeah i feel like it's all just really what's going on in education today whether it's in our classrooms in our school in our country i even think this year has been a huge transitional year for me because now i'm not only a teacher but i'm also a mother so i've really discussed with my parents 
you know, what are reasonable expectations for teachers, especially when they become parents, because now I can't sacrifice things that I used to sacrifice when I was a teacher. So I will admit that our, a lot of our dinner table conversation revolves around education because we all feel very passionately about it. Yes. And our younger brother is not in education, so I don't think he loves it as much as we do. But we <laughs> <appreciate> <laughs> What's funny is I was actually going to ask a question like that because I'm like, OK, with all this education going on, is there anyone in there that kind of sits and goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we talk about something else? <laughs> yes, that would be our younger brother, Harrison. Yes. That's awesome. So, um, so cool. Thank you for, uh, for sharing that. I just, I, I can't imagine because uh, what that conversation would be like. I have a, an aunt that if ever I get together with her, then we can talk education and stuff like that. But it's a little far in between. Everybody else is kind of like, okay, you guys right. go in the other room. Right? <laughs> um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about this. Do you, do you have a memory, each of you, from your first year teaching that just stays with you? You know, whether it went well or not, just that one memory that you always remember. Madeline's is funny, so I kind of want her to go first. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I obviously remember so much from my first year, as all teachers do, but one that I just felt like really exemplified the sheer like craziness of your first year is one day I was so stressed about what I needed to get done that day. And I was like, I want to show up to the school by 6 a.m. And I knew that the custodians wouldn't be there yet. So I texted my principal and I was like, hey, I normally show up right when the custodians get there. But again, I was really stressed. And for some reason, that extra 30 minutes was just going to be a game changer. And so he described to me that I need to go through this back door of the school, but I need to make sure that I turn the alarm off first. And I'm like, OK, OK, I got it. I got it. And so I park behind the school and I walk in the door, I unlock it and I open it. And all of a sudden this alarm starts screaming <laughs> through the whole building. And so I literally drop my bags. I'm sprinting down the hallway, like racing up the stairs, trying to figure out how to turn the alarm off and I couldn't turn it off. So I call this emergency number and like, I'm not kidding you. This is the loudest alarm I have ever heard in my life. Nice. So I'm like sweating and on the phone with the alarm company. And I'm like, I can't get the alarm off. <laughs> teacher <laughs> and it was and then of course my principals got notifications because somebody broke into the school which was me and it was it was <laughs> I'll admit that extra 30 minutes was spent just trying to get the alarm turned off and it was not worth it <laughs> <laughs> nice nice <laughs> that's you're probably not going to forget that one are you <laughs> I definitely won't yes I feel like that's just the epitome of your first year in that story <laughs> yes um, I think mine is the what I wrote about in your first year um, in the chapter about resets, um, talking, describing like a day in October. That is a true story. That was um, my day, my day in October where everything fell apart. And I realized that I wasn't the teacher I wanted to be. I didn't know how to classroom manage. Um, and it was a it was a terrible it was a terrible day. And I think that just sticks with you. I mean, that's the day that I was able to try something different and, and reset and, and make things better. Um, but it was, that was just a terrible day to, to have to admit to yourself, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this job and I don't know how to be. And that's hard. Yeah, it is difficult. That's uh, you know, it's funny because the, the bad things that, that stick with us like that. And that was, that was something in, in the book that really hits home because you, it, there's a lot of self doubt that it, that uh, enters the picture. And I know uh, on my first day, the, uh, I had uh, all kinds of stuff prepared, so just got to remember a bunch of years ago. So this is old tech, <laughs> but uh, um, the uh, I wasn't expecting. You know, I'm standing at the door, and I wasn't expecting a student to, uh, you know, stumble by the uh, overhead projector, but he did and knocked the overhead projector over, which which cracked the 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 bulb inside. So all of a sudden, it didn't work. And, oh my gosh! <laughs> and thankfully, I had a. Um, the teacher next door heard the crash and he came over and he says, and he basically comes to my rescue. He ends up coming in, sees what's wrong, goes and gets his and brings it in. And so he was very helpful in getting me through this. And then when I go to pull the screen down, it fell off the wall. Oh my, <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so I'll never forget that. That's, that, that's what I remember most about that day. It's like, <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Okay. Can we have a do over, you know? <laughs> so so sure. let's get into your first First year, how to survive and thrive as a new teacher. In the beginning of the book, you have a section titled, The Most Special Profession. In this section, there is this line. You don't just want to be a teacher. You want to become the teacher. You want to be the teacher who inspires others because you had teachers who inspired you. Can you both comment on this? So 
We felt like that, and obviously people go into teaching for different reasons, but a, a lot of people do go into teaching because they want to be that teacher, whether they had, you know, a great teacher or not, they want to be the teacher who inspires others. And we wanted to touch upon that, not only because it's true for a lot of people, but also because a lot of first year teachers at some point have a reckoning and, you know, a moment where they're like, oh my gosh, I'm not this absolutely perfect teacher that I thought I was going to be. And so starting out the book, again, we still believe that teaching is the most special profession. We still believe that everybody can. And, you know, a lot of teachers currently are being the teacher that inspires all of their students. But with that said, we're hoping then through the development of the book, we also acknowledge that you have this vision of who you're going to be. And then sometimes that gets shifted and torn down and then redeveloped into the teacher that you know you can be. Yeah. And I think um, the inspirational part comes from teachers who did inspire you, but I was inspired by so many of my teachers, but especially to kind of go the math route. I think I was more inspired by the fact that I'd never, I think math is just a difficult subject to teach in a creative fashion. Um, and I think it's a difficult subject for so many students. Like you don't ever hear students say, I'm not good at reading. You always hear students say, I'm not good at math. And I feel like that was my biggest motivator is to try to do something about that statement and to challenge myself to make math more than just um, practice these 30 homework problems. You know, like let's do activities, let's do stations, let's do group work, um, something to mix it up. And that was kind of the challenge to myself and I think what inspired me a little bit. Very cool. I appreciate you both sharing that. that. That's, you know, it is, it hits home because that is, I, I would hope that most people become teachers because they have that in them, that, uh, that ideology, that, that, uh, you know, that thought, that uh, just idealism that uh, I, I want to be the teacher that inspires. And, you know, it's, uh, ha and by the way, you're talking about trying to make math inspiring or whatever, you know, I, I, I became a history teacher because history was fun and I wanted to make it fun. And uh, there's nothing, you know, when you go into a history class and, uh, you know, most times the kids say, do we have to know this? You know, it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> you know, so, so, um, so that was a big part of my inspiration. Although, you know, it's uh, it had its challenges, right? <laughs> Good stuff. So, you know, I, I love the way your book is structured. You have these four main sections, and the four sections are like this. Before the students arrive, structure, structure, structure. The second one is the students are here, now what? The third one is working with adults. And the fourth one is continuing to reflect, refine, and grow on your journey. How did you develop these topics and segments? Uh, what was that discussion like? Because I love it. This is cool stuff. <laughs> so I think we chose these four main sections kind of based on the way that our first year trajectories went. So we had a lot of things that we were thinking about before the students arrived. Then we had that moment where, oh my gosh, the students are here and somebody just talked back to me. What do I do? <laughs> and I think that's the part where your life kind of flips upside down. And so right. I want to discuss that. <laughs> and then after you feel like you're semi getting a hang of teaching, all of a sudden you realize you're working with adults, which adds its own layer of complexity. <laughs> yes. And then again, as the year goes on, you slowly are able to reflect more. You're able to refine things more and you're you know able to grow by the end of your first year. And then obviously in the future. And I also think that we chose these four sections because like I said at the beginning, they legitimately um, like reflected our first years. We both wrote these, like these were written when we were beginning teachers. And so we, you know, we get home from school and then we would write a part of a chapter. Then we go back to school the next day, then we'd write a part of a chapter. And so I think we wanted to choose what are the four most authentic pressing things to us in our classrooms as, again, as we are living the life of a teacher every day. Yeah. That's so cool. And I'm glad you said that because I thought this was, the book came out of the, those first years, your, your first years. I thought that was what was going on. So that's, that's really cool. And I can't wait to get into a couple of things here because unfortunately, you know, I, I don't have enough time. I could keep you talking here for hours. It's <laughs> cool stuff that came out. And I had to reduce my th questions down here. So um, in, in chapter two, and so I'm going to go in there. In chapter two, developing your procedures, there is this comment. The tighter your procedures are, the less misbehavior will occur, and the calmer and more productive the environment will be. Let's talk about what class procedures are and the importance of creating and having your procedures in place for your classes. 
Matt, I feel like this is you. Yeah, sure. So we see procedures as the day-to-day routines that you and your students follow to help your classroom flow smoothly. So it can be as simple as, you know, how do you get a pencil? Um, What do you do when you need an extra piece of paper? Where do you turn in work? Um, How do you get dry erase markers? And they are so important because they truly are what help the gears turn in your classroom. As a teacher, especially as a beginning teacher, it can be easy to make assumptions that students are going to do things the way that you would just think that they would. You know, you just think that human beings would go and get a pencil out of the cup like this. or you think that human beings would go and use their Chromebook the way that you quote unquote in your head, the way that they should. Um, But then in reality, you realize that we're all human beings. You have 20 to 30 to 40 different human beings in your classroom. And so you need to make sure everyone's on the same page with doing these routine type things so you can have everything run smoothly. And I think Madeline with her elementary background was phenomenal at this, her first year of teaching. Um, For me, my background was secondary and we didn't really talk about classroom management. And I, just like Madeline said, how you think a kid's going to go sharpen their pencil the way every kid should sharpen their pencil and they don't. And I just was not prepared for that. That's where I fell apart my first year is I didn't think through an eighth grader not being able to go get a calculator without hitting someone. You know what I mean? It's those, it's those things, those, those rules. It's not a rule, but it's the, the way you want your classroom to function, the way you want your kids to move um, and think and speak and be, um, those are the the procedures that you need to have in place. It's it's so just where you talk about this is so on the money. It's just uh, because it's so important to have those in place. And I think, you know, one of the things that uh, just like you said, how many different ways are there to go to the pencil sharpener? Well, just <laughs> Turns out a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, just let an eighth grader do that. And you're or a third grader. Hey, a third grader is even better. The uh, um, but uh, just let them figure out because you know, it all depends on which path they take you know they don't necessarily take the straight path there either you know it's like <laughs> right and my all-time favorite one was how many noises can the pencil sharpener make as i uh <laughs> 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 you know child's like musical pencil sharpener here so now my one of my favorite parts that goes with procedures is you know there's there's a bunch that i think as a new teacher you know, we, if we have some warning about it ahead of time, then we start thinking about stuff that, oh, yeah, this would make sense to have it. And my favorite, all-time favorite one is, I think the, the first one you really got to think about is, how do I deal with the restroom? <laughs> and I don't mean yeah. me. I mean yeah. them. <laughs> yes. 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 Because if you don't know how, they'll come up with, uh, they'll try you on that, won't they? <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, they will get very creative with it. Very true. <laughs> you also have to get creative with it on your end as well. <laughs> very much so. So that's, you know, it's procedures. Awesome. Yeah, just, you got to get them in place. You got that right. The, uh, um, and so as a result of talking about procedures, we need to talk a little bit about, dis- you know, we got to discuss rules here. And, and you go into that, into the book. Um, first, what's the difference between rules and procedures? And why is it important for a new teacher to have these in place? And by the way, can we also talk about not having too many rules? <laughs> so we in the book, so different people will possibly define thing, these in slightly different ways. The way we decided to define rules versus procedures is like I said, procedures are kind of the day-to-day details of the routines that you and your students follow every single day. Whereas the rules are much more the overall umbrella of what you expect of students. So it's like you expect them to go sharpen their pencil in a certain way, but then maybe a rule would be like, we follow directions quickly. And so that rule would then follow, you know, that would cover all of the procedures. And what's important about rules is you want to make sure because they are so much more the umbrella, you need to make sure they really do cover and they work in 
the majority of your day. So you wouldn't want to have a rule that you couldn't hold students accountable for. Definitely. So again, procedures are much more the day-to-day -day routine. Rules are your overall expectations that, and I, um, Catherine will touch on this more as well, the overall expectations that students can and should be held accountable for. Mm -hmm. And I think your rules have to differ, especially at the secondary level, mine differ from class to class. So my Algebra 2 honors kids are not gonna have the same rules as my Algebra A students are. There's just gonna, it's gonna, it's just gonna look different. Like my, my Algebra A kiddos, my, literally my one rule is everyone has to do math every single day. And these are the kids who sometimes are oppositional definer, or having a bad day and won't pick up a pencil. But my rule, my non-negotiable with them every single time is we gotta do math. If that's you telling me what to do with the problem and I'm writing the problem, I'm writing the steps that you're telling me to do, that is math, but it's got to be done. And that's, that's just my rule for them. And they know that. And that's where the bathroom comes in. That's my bargaining chip. Nice. We have to do math. Or you can't go to the bathroom. You know, I need to see one problem. And it's got to be right. And then you can go to the bathroom. Um, and so I just think that's kind of where I fall in terms of that. <clears throat> and then in regard to not having too many rules. So Research has shown that if you hit a certain threshold of number of rules, I'm pretty sure it's five or six. I don't have the research paper right in front of me. But once you get over a certain number of rules, then a lot of times they can just become less and less and less important. Mm -hmm. So if you end up having a list of 15 rules, I mean, I have a feeling that a lot of your students won't even go past reading the third one if they even get there. And so... You also don't want to have too many rules because then they can start to bleed into procedures and you just want to make sure that your rules, again, are those overarching expectations you can hold students accountable for, whereas your procedures are the ones where you go into detail about how you do certain things on a routine basis. Mm -hmm. that, that's awesome because, you know, and one of the things that I've run into is the more you have, then the more likely that you're also going to find the student who's going to try and find the loophole. <laughs> yes. But, yes. But you didn't say this. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes. And then that teacher may then try to make another rule. But then again, like you said, you can then just go down a rabbit hole because students are going to be more creative than most teachers. <laughs> <laughs> Which that's probably right there is probably the thing that uh, I think a lot of people are least prepared for. Is that something that you guys talked about in the beginning? There, there are 28 different human beings or 30 different human beings that are sitting there. And somewhere in the middle of there, you got that one joker that's like, hmm. How can I make oh, yeah. the adult jump? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So, all right. So let's let's shift up here just a little bit. In chapter eight, which is in the section, the students are here, now what? This is said, always remember that what you do and how you handle it is what will decide if the situation goes well or goes poorly. Let's talk about this. I feel like that comes down we've kind of honed in on this um, escalation versus de-escalation. And I think no matter what the student does, you have control over how you react, um, what you say, what you do, if you choose to ignore, if you choose not to ignore. And the ultimate goal is to de-escalate the situation or whatever's happening in your classroom versus escalating their behavior. If they're yelling, you're not yelling back because um, that's just going to amp them up to make things um even worse. <laughs> um, and so I just feel like the biggest thing we wanted people to take away is that um, you can't control necessarily how a student's going to act or react to you, but you can always control how you act and how you react to students. And we also wanted to touch upon what is even the definition of if a situation goes well, like what does that look like? Because I think when you go into your first year, you assume that even if you have 10 quote unquote troublemakers in your class by the end of the year everyone's going to be perfect and you're going to be their favorite teacher and they're all going to love each other and they're going to love you but once you're actually you become a teacher you realize that a situation going well the student may still be belligerent or the student may still be having issues the student may still be defiant what decides if it goes well or not is how you are handling it so if you walk away and you know that you were respectful you know that you handled the situation with care and thoughtfulness and concern and you didn't you know, do the, like raise your voice, use sarcasm, things like that. That's how you can define if a situation goes well. Yeah. This is so awesome because I, I want to remind the listeners that remember that they, they can, the book was complete as a result at the end of your first year teaching, right? Of both of you. 
And, right. and yeah. that, that is so cool because you're just hitting just right on the dot with stuff that goes on with, um, I, I currently am in a role where I act as support for new teachers and, uh, teachers are struggling. And, uh, it's, it's really cool how you, um, just thinking that you guys put this together after you'd gone through your first year. So awesome stuff. Um, you know, just kudos to you. The, uh, one of the things that, uh, I want to make sure is that in section three, it's all about working with adults. And he mentioned this just a little bit, but what inspired this section? I mean, is there some event or something, you know, referring back to the fact that it comes at the end of your first year? Can you talk a little bit about working with peers? I just think the dynamic, I think, I think everything about teacher prep is all about students, 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 students. And it's never like, hey, by the way, you're going to have to plan with this teacher across the hall potentially. Or, hey, by the way, you're going to have to team teach with this group of teachers. Or, hey, by the way, you're going to have to go to a staff meeting and you have to decide where to sit. And you have to be able to make the logical, not the logical choice, but figure out kind of which teachers do I want to be around and who are going to help me grow and which teachers may not. And I feel like that's just never spoken about um, at the collegiate level or even in master's classes. They don't talk about working with adults. They tell you you might have to collaborate, but it's never discussed how or ways to deal with that. And we just felt like it was kind of um, working with kids is hard, but you, you have mentally prepared for that for four years. And I just don't think you were ever mentally prepared to necessarily work with adults and we wanted to touch on that because I think it's a part of teaching that isn't discussed all the time. Mm -hmm. I agree with what Catherine said. And I think even in college, if you collaborated with your peers, you may not have collaborated with someone who was a 25 year old master teacher, or you may not have collaborated with someone who was 10 years, your senior, your senior, but maybe they're talking bad about your students. And so we wanted to help people realize that whatever situation you're thrown into, there's going to be a huge variety of teachers and personalities that you're working with, no matter where you teach. And we just want them to, number one, see that vision and also realize the importance of who you start to associate with and who's going to help lift you up and help make you a better teacher, as opposed to maybe interacting with other people. That, that right there is a huge part of it. It's like uh, the idea that some of them will lift you up and others are just trying to yank you down <laughs> To some low, right. to, you know, to, it, everything's a problem type thing. You know, it, it's right, funny. Right. My, uh, the, the first school where I taught, uh, I was in the history department. We, we did all this stuff together. I got happened to get into the cafeteria first on the first day and they had a teacher's area in the cafeteria. So I went to go sit down I sat down Well, my whole department came or at least those who had lunch at the same time came and they sat down at the table, like right next to mine, but not at the table I was at. And I'm like, uh, what's going on here? You know? And <laughs> And they looked at me and they go, come over here. And I'm like, yeah, oh, why, I was here first. Why can't we stay? They just come over here. So I, I moved and I went to their table. I was sitting at the math table. All right. Mm. That's basically what happened. Right. The math department right. shortly shows up and I get explained that this is the, this is the social studies department table. And that is the math table. And we don't sit at the same table. I'm like, okay. And we're all nine, 10 years old. What the heck? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, nobody gave me a class on that. That's right. Nice. Nice. Okay. <laughs> so cool. Mm -hmm. Um, by the way, I got to ask, did, did you guys choose, like, did you have sections that you worked on that you liked specifically as you collaborated together? Or is there like things I want to work on that? Uh, I don't want that one. You know, that type of thing. So I think, um, and I'm just going to be very honest. Madeline was a phenomenal first year teacher. And I struggled and she, her first year had procedures and had structure and rules just totally figured out. And so she was comfortable taking that section head on. And when we were writing this book, I still wasn't comfortable with that. I was like, you know, second, third year. And I'm still like, I don't even have these down yet. I'm, I'm not comfortable telling somebody else what to do or giving other people advice when I don't even have it mastered myself. Um, and so we kind of divided it up, uh, that way a little bit is the things that I felt like I wasn't ready to contribute to. Um, she and my dad kind of, um, spearheaded. And then I was able to say, I struggle, I still struggle with this. Can you be more specific about this for people? Or I still struggle with creating rules. Can you now be more specific? Like I would read their sections and try to push them to elaborate in different ways. And I feel like vice versa. Yeah, and I feel like we, I feel, I feel like Catherine's giving me a lot of credit that I may not totally deserve, but I feel like um, 
we looked, you know, talked about how we wanted to structure it and then talked about our own personal strengths. Because even though Catherine and I are sisters, we both run classrooms in very different ways, just based on our personality, based on what our goals are as teachers. And so we talked again about our personal strengths. But what was great about what Catherine said, first of all, she came from the secondary world. I was in the elementary world. So that gave us different perspectives. But then again, reiterating what she said, we would write something and she'd be like, nope that's not clear enough like that wouldn't have helped me in October of my first year because we were writing this kind of near the end of the year um and that also helped that back and forth between her writing things and me giving her feedback than me writing things and her giving me feedback and then our dad obviously being a part of it as well writing things and us giving him feedback really helped us make it where it was whereas I think if either you know any one of us had written it individually I don't think it would have turned out how it did mm -hmm. That's that's cool to hear that that process happening there because that does that adds so much to the book because it is so real. I I don't know how to explain this. It, it, the book is uh, it's very easy to read. It's very easy to understand, and it it you can't help but start flashing back to um, your own first year or situations you've had along the way as you were becoming a teacher and developing um, who you are and how you address things. And it's neat to hear how you um, separate things and as well as just your different experiences. They they shine through. That's, that's awesome to be able to have those, those conversations such. Oh, so cool stuff. The, uh, I, you know, my favorite chapter, by the way, is chapter 13, which I'm real curious if there is any significance between the 13 and the topic of it, <laughs> but <laughs> I thought, okay, you know, some hotels don't even have a floor 13, but chapter 13 is titled parents, friend or foe. Talk a little bit about this statement. They all, they all do the best they know this is the statement they all do the best they know how that does not mean they do the best you know how and so in this chapter one thing that what was really important to touch on is we sometimes feel like certain teachers make parents foes and they may not even do it on purpose, but they instantly either they make assumptions about the parent. They assume that because they didn't show up to X, Y, Z, or they didn't turn in this field trip form, or they didn't donate you know, Kleenex boxes to the classroom, that that all of a sudden means that that parent is not a good parent or that parent should be working harder or that parent should be trying harder or be more active in their, you know, in their family or whatever. And I think we just wanted to use this chapter to talk about how it really is beneficial for the parent to be your friend because this parent, like 99% of the time probably cares about this kid more than anyone else in the world does. Mm -hmm. And they just want to know that you care about their kid as well. And we also think it's important to know that I think it can be easy, like I said, to make assumptions about parents and what they're either doing or not doing, but it's super hard to know what's going on behind closed doors, you know, just cause they don't show up to whatever family night, maybe the parent was working that night, or maybe the parent literally worked a 10 hour day at work and they were just too tired to show up to reading night or writing night or game night or something. And we just really wanna make sure that first year teachers don't make assumptions based on maybe what other teachers are saying or based on just what was normal for their family because I just, it's real, I strongly believe that having parents, like being able to work collaboratively with them is going to be what's best for the student almost all the time. Obviously, we can each think of exceptions to that case. We can each think of parents that may, sorry, that may not have made right choices or done the right thing with their kid. But I do feel like in general, like we want to be a collaborative partnership with them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard because um, during the school day, you don't have time to communicate with parents. And so because we're so wrapped up in, in our personal schedule as teachers or administrators, we just kind of assume the world runs on that schedule. And it absolutely doesn't. I don't know if you've ever had a day off. And for me, I've like driven around and been like, who gets to drive around at 1 p.m.? Who, yes. What life are you living? Like, what is this? And I just think that um, when we have like, like I know for a fact, like my school right now, we have back to school nights or like parent teacher conference nights and we only hold them two nights um, and they're only from three to seven. And that's 
like we, in our minds, we're like, oh, perfect. School's out. Parents should be able to come from three to seven. And we feel like if a parent doesn't show up, they're not prioritizing their kid. But I think we aren't willing to take into account that other people's lives look different than ours. And just because we feel like a parent may not be prioritizing their kid is completely could be a false statement. They might be sleeping because they work nights and we just don't know that. And making sure that you are reaching out and not making assumptions and making sure you're reaching out in a positive way as to support the family um, in whatever way that means for them, I think is is number one. Uh, you, you can't make assumptions based on whether a parent is you know, checking up on things or not. Like I, another example I have is a, a kid was failing multiple classes and we were like, oh my gosh, does this parent not care? And so finally a teacher called and the parent was like, oh, I absolutely know, but the kid's in high school now. And so if the child wants to fail, then he's going to have to go to summer school. And, and I absolutely care. And his cell phone's away. And we didn't know his cell phone had been taken away, but the parent was doing, you know, what they knew to be right. And they really were, there were consequences at home, but we just weren't seeing that on the school end. And it's about reaching out and formulating that connection and not, and again, like Madeline said, not making assumptions based on what you see or don't see. Yeah, it's awesome. That's, you know, and that's why this is, this section is so important. It's, it just, it, that statement alone, you, it's their child and they're going, many of them, they just, they're doing what they do and it's not necessarily, not necessarily aligned with what we're thinking about. And that's so right on the money. And, uh, and a little more understanding, and I think sometimes we figure out, sometimes if you give it a chance, you start figuring out what is making them click and how it works within your world, and you kind of have to co-op that or, or make it work. So good stuff. The uh, You know, and I, I want to kind of use this opportunity for just a second because something that I didn't know if I was going to have a chance to talk about but fits really well right here is you talk about it in the beginning of the book, which is the importance of developing relationships. And so I hate to backtrack, but I want to do that if I could real quick, because it really does fit here. And uh, I didn't think I was going to have time, but I'm, I'm hope I, we're doing pretty good right now. So I was going to say, can you just talk about that just a little bit, especially because we have two different levels here. We have parents that we're talking about. We have kids that we're talking about. Can you guys reflect on that just a little bit? Importance of uh, relationships and relationship building. Yeah, uh, I would love to speak on that because I feel like that is uh, my strength in the classroom. And I'll never forget, I always thought I was kind of good at it, but it was my fourth year of teaching that it really um, hit how to do it and how to do it in a real way. Um, I just, I feel like, especially teaching math, and I'm sure you see this in other subjects too, when kids get frustrated, there's this shutdown moment where either they'll put their head down or they'll get their phone out or they'll put their pencil down or you know, they'll just stop working completely. And I used to say, you know, pick your pencil back up. Let's try again. Like, let me talk you through it. And it comes a point where you just have to sit next to the kid and just genuinely ask what, what's going on. I go, I feel like it's not even math related. Like what's, what is wrong? Um, and, and having that genuine conversation for whatever reason was a total game changer to me. And I feel like getting kids um, to know that you support them, not only in the classroom, but if something's going on outside of the classroom that you want to hear about that and know about that and listen to that as well, um, just gets them on your side even more and they'll perform for you no matter what, if you take the time, especially in difficult situations where they're struggling, um, taking the time to do that is, I mean, results in amazing things throughout the rest of the year with them. And then I also think one thing that we've talked, you know, at our dinner time education conversations that we have, one thing we've also talked about and reflected upon is we do feel like in the last few years, there has been this trend that has made it seem like, okay, teacher, if you just had good enough relationships with your students, then they would do every single thing that they asked you to do. And I know me, like my colleagues and I, we have discussed this and other teacher friends that I have, that I've had, um, or that I currently have, sorry. Um, we have talked about how you can have a really good relationship with a student, but especially for first year teachers, they need to know that again, that's not, that, that's, that doesn't mean that the students all of a sudden going to just do every single thing that they, that you want them to do. And I think sometimes when you're a student, you have, again, like we talked about all these like inspirational visions of what 
the best teachers are like and what students will do for the teachers that they love. And relationships are super, super, super important. And we, Catherine and I would go on and on and on about how critical they are. We just also think it's important for first year teachers to know that like you need to make the best relationships if you can, but that doesn't mean you may not get cussed out one day. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden all your students are going to turn in their homework. And that doesn't mean that you're not a good teacher. Mm -hmm. It just means that that's just the reality of working with people, even if you love them and they love you. That's so awesome. That's because it's so right on the money too. That's something that because yes, I mean it, it. Just because you connect, just because you are starting to make relationships with them, or even you know connecting at some level, it's you know, it is just what it is that day, and it may be what the kid tells you. Look, it, I'm sorry about that. It is what it is, man. You just you just have right. to step in the way of my bus. You know, <laughs> it's right. you know, and that's and that's just so so important to understand because you think you might have failed at it what, what the heck happened here and no actually it's just part of it is part of the connecting process is that you do have those um, situations that take place I mean it's funny um, you just never know uh, how some of that's going to turn out because you may have thought you connected really well with one kid and actually it turned out that <laughs> it's the kid over here that you thought hated you um, uh-huh, that is so true <laughs> yeah good stuff well thank you for taking that that opportunity there because I let me get you back into the sections here. So, you know, one last look, let's look in section four in section four. You have this awesome chapter 15 and it's titled be a sponge. What are you wanting the reader to remember here? So weirdly enough, I'm relating this back to my nephew, my sister's son, Tapley, and he's in his first year of life right now. And he can't do anything, but he's absorbing all of this knowledge. And they say those first couple of years of your life are unbelievably important for your emotional development, intellectual development, et cetera. And I feel like that's what that first year is too, is it is you're literally getting thrown into life, just like a newborn baby is getting thrown into life. And you just have to take it all in. And you have to learn from every experience and adapt to every experience and feel every experience and be part of committees so you understand the workings of the school and reach out to other teachers so you understand the workings of uh, different aspects of the school and different aspects of teaching. You you just have to be part and and maybe not um, insert yourself into every conversation, but just sit and be and take it all in and not be afraid to ask questions. And it's just like this huge learning curve um, that I think is so important for you to take advantage of and not go in thinking you know it all because you've been through all these great pedagogy classes these past four years in college. Um, It's coming in and reading the school and learning the dynamics and understanding your students and the backgrounds that they come from. And, and it, you're literally just absorbing for a year. You just have to absorb everything. And then that doesn't, we also want to reiterate, that doesn't mean you need to go and then like sign up for every single no. club sponsorship and go to every single committee meeting for everything. Like by be a sponge, we definitely do not mean to overextend yourself. I think it just means to kind of be open to the fact and accept the fact that you are going to learn so much. And just, it is such a pivotal year in your, and just in your whole life, if you're a teacher. Yeah. That's so powerful because you, you, it's just, it's right. I mean, you, you, you want to be, be a sponge in the idea of learning from what's happening around you and who's there that you have access to and not overwhelming yourself, but at the same time doing the things that, you know, like you said, the child does all the time. They, they figure out how to make something work or they, they start, you know, wow, how did that teacher get that to happen? Well, if you ask a question, you might figure that out or, you know, uh, you know, (laughs) how to get in the building without setting off the alarm. Um, you know, know, um, there's just any number of these, these aspects. And it's, it's funny because every school has its own system and ways of handling things. And some of that you, you have no clue about until you, uh, you start looking around, you start realizing, Hey, there's some system here. Let me figure this out. And uh, good stuff. I, well, I, I, go, ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry. I think it's also, and I just kind of realized this as well, is the first year, it's kind of like, again, with the baby, like you, you go in steps and like when a baby's trying to learn how to walk, they're going to fall, but they keep trying and they're going to fall, but they keep trying. And I feel like in your first year, you have to be prepared to fall. You're going to fall, but you're never going to stop trying. And I think that's what also makes it hard is it's a year kind of full of failure. 
But if you continue to reach out to people or um, read articles or just ask for help in any you know way, even ask for principals to come in and be like, hey, I don't know what to do. Please come in in a non-evaluative way to just help me see things that I'm not seeing. And I think just knowing and going in with it into it with the mindset that you're going to fail. I wish I had known that going in because I think it would have been less emotionally damaging when I did <laughs> fail, um, knowing that you're going to fail and it's going to happen, but you're going to keep teaching and it's going to be great. And you're going to figure it out eventually. That's good stuff. I, you know, it's funny because one of the things I remember the most is that when you teach a lot of times when you teach a social studies class that, uh, and with me, I'm a history teacher. I have degrees in history. And the, uh, and one of the things that I was focused on was wanting to teach history. Well, a lot of times they try and give you lots of other classes too that aren't history. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, can we, can we kind of back off some of these? Well, I got what I asked for one time and I ended up having a whole classroom. I had, had like five or six world histories in a row or five or six US <laughs> histories in a row. And one of the things you learn from teaching like that is that by the time you get to like the end of the second one, you're going, oh my gosh, all right, can I have a different subject at least? And the classes are so different that sometimes the makeup with the kids, they'll, they speed along differently. You know, like one class, you may be going, I got to go back to this. I got to go back to that. And the other class, all of a sudden you're like way up, you know, way beyond anybody else. You're going, okay, now how do I deal with this? And that was, yeah. that in itself is just, you know, I just trying to figure out how to deal with something like that. I, you know, I had to learn how, uh, how to manage that time and be aware of that and so forth. So good stuff. Learning while you go is just uh, so important. And, uh, I think that you just really hit it in that chapter there. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, we're kind of coming to a close now. And, uh, one, what I'd like you to do before we uh, get into the, my last couple questions here is if someone wanted to connect further with either of you, where would you send them? Twitter. <laughs> Definitely Twitter. My Twitter handle is just at M Whitaker good. Cal oh, and, and then mine is um, at, what is it? Miss Whitaker C294. Cause I use it for my classroom as well. Like I um, flipped my classroom for a while and would tweet out videos and, and things like that. Um, so yeah, mine's at Miss Whitaker C294. Very cool. So I'll put those in the show notes. So anybody who's listening to us while they're running or driving or whatever, it'll, it'll be there in the show notes for you. Excellent. And, uh, um, I got to tell you, this is the, the book is, is amazing. And we're going to come back as we finish, but what I'd like to do before we close out is I have two last questions and it goes like this. If you had the chance to talk with 100 brand new teachers, what is one piece of advice you would want to give them about working with kids? I definitely know mine. So mine would be that it is easier to loosen your expectations than to tighten your expectations. So I would highly recommend that they start the beginning of the year with high expectations, clear guidelines on things, like really not being like scared, but like really trying to be prepared for every little thing that can be possible because you will just reap the benefits of that. And then if you realize that your class can handle loosened, ex like loosened expectations, fantastic. Like you can then reap the benefits of that later on in the year. But the worst, I feel like the, a really not great thing that you can find yourself in is if you started the year loosey goosey and then it's October and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, like I need to redo everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think mine kind of goes along with that, but mine is start with academics. And I mean that um, in the fact that on the very first day, I would do curriculum. I just think it sets a precedent. I think it lets the kids know that we are in business mode, that this is how this classroom is going to work. This is how it's going to run. Um, and then, so not only do you start the year, I want you to then start every class period or every day if you're elementary doing curriculum. I just think it sets the tone. And then it's, again, like Madeline said, easier to loosen throughout the class period if you're getting you know, into what you need to. But it is so hard to hear the bell ring, not go into your classroom for two minutes, and then walk into just chaos. If instead they know that as the bell is ringing every day, you are walking in, the warm-up is on the board, and you start it immediately, I just think that sets a totally different precedent and tone. Um, and is so helpful when it comes to classroom management. If your kids just know that every day we're getting down to business immediately. 
Excellent. Thank you. Thank you both. Awesome advice. Last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? I'm wondering if it's the same. I know. I feel like ours is yours, Dr. Allen, Kate. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. So so we both had the same um, AP English teacher in high school. But, Kate, we may have loved her for different reasons. I'm not sure. Um, So it was definitely Dr. Allen, my AP English teacher in 11th and 12th grade. And I would say, so I did, I wrote her like a seven page letter when I graduated from high school because I was this in love with her. Um, But I would just tell her, thank you for making students' voices feel like they mattered. Whether it was in essay writing, whether it was in class discussion, I do, I cannot remember another class where I was allowed to share my opinion more than in her class. And I think that was a game changer for us as developing like adolescents. Nice. For sure. Mine is her, but for, like I said, for a different reason, she, um, read students really well and just had me stay after class one day and told me things about myself that I think I knew, but didn't believe. Um, she could feel that I didn't believe in myself. Uh, in certain aspects and um, told me I was wrong and told me I was powerful and told me I had a voice that needed to be used and learn and and I have things to say and I'm a natural leader and and she just could feel that like I didn't believe that about myself and she wanted me to know that and I've never had anybody do that I mean she and I cried together and then I went home and told my mom and and we cried together Um, And she just, she just cared about kids and wanted the kids to see the best in themselves that she saw. And I just think that is, that's amazing. And it's so important in teaching. Awesome. I appreciate you both sharing so much information today and telling your personal stories. And this is so cool. I, Catherine Madeline, thank you so much for talking with me. Your book, Your First Year, How to Survive and Thrive as a New Teacher is an excellent tool for new teachers and future teachers to own and use. Practical, and and it just addresses so many questions that a new teacher is often afraid to ask and uh, just so on the money. And it's so cool knowing that, you know, it was written at the end of your first years, which is, and it sounds like even while you were finishing your first years, <laughs> yes. which is yes. which is another cool aspect about it. Um, I wish you the best in all that you do, and I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Thank you so much thank for having you us. So much. We are grateful um, for this opportunity. Yeah. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V and Mileto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.